This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another edition of The Podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into science sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. They got everything from comic books to old school wrestling figures, science sports memorabilia from any sports league, you name it, they got it. They ship worldwide. The best thing is they update daily, so please visit them at firstrow.ca. And if you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like NBA Jam, Postal, Red Dead Redemption, and so many others. Everything you see on their websites available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. If you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products, visit legacysubs.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They have everything from sleep aid to muscle building, anything that makes you feel great. They are Legacy Sports Nutrition at LegacySubs.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. It takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to travel mugs to phone cases, anything you need or want. It is literally there. But the easiest thing, the freest thing, the best thing you should be doing for the show each and every week is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest is a stand-up comedian, a writer, and an actor who has been featured on Broadway, video games, television, and movies. He also holds a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and you could catch him regularly at the Hollywood Laugh Factory. The hilarious Bill Dawes. Yay! (laughs) It's funny when you do an intro and then there's no one to say, like... Right? It's just, it's up to you, whatever you want to say. There's no crowd response, there's no, no, and I would hope, can you imagine though, if people are like listening to this on public transit and stuff, and just start yelling out loud when they start introducing someone? No, I'm not worried about that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so how's it going, my friend? What's going on with you today? I just came back from jujitsu. Hmm. I'm, I'm training, I'm prepping for my black belt test. Oh shit, okay. Every time I have a test, I always feel like I'm going to, I'm going to fail. I think I think to fail the, the test, you really have to fail. Like he okay. wants you to win, sure. Because like for for the black belt, you have to have uh, I think it's like 30, 30 chokes, thirty arm locks, twenty leg locks. Oh shit! 20, that's like that's like thirty self defense moves, thirty throws. And my judo, my self defense is just like you know, we never practice it. So right, you know. So you have to you have to find some some schlub to like come up to your place where you just like. All right, if I grab my neck here, let me, what do I, you know, so we'll see. I think I'll pass, but who knows? <laughs> well, it, it's going to be a brown belt and be good, then be a bad black belt. You know what I mean? You know, that's true. But how, how does it work? Is there a certain amount of, because I, I don't know the intricacies of trying to get belts in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but is there an amount of time that you're, you could only fail, like say like a doctor and then you're out or something or like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't know because, you know, 
the the lineage for my belt is uh, Master Mansoor. I don't know if you know anything about like he's a red belt basically. You know, he was sort of oh, shit. he was like the he kind of got into the inner workings of the Gracer family as as a non Gracie. You know, okay. So or he he's one of I, I think there are forty five red belts in the world. For, oh wow! Yeah, and then he gave. My master Marcus Vinicius is a coral belt, and I think there's 50 of those. So it's okay. a pretty it's a pretty good lineage. You know what I mean? It's not like I got like I'm getting a black belt sure. from a guy who got a black belt who has a black belt from another black belt who got a black belt from a you know. Well, I think that's why because again, being the HIM, and I'm sure you could contest to this. And I don't know when you got into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but early on, when I in my early teens, all there was was those crooked karate masters, those. Taekwondo coaches that knew nothing. So it's like, I'm not yeah. going to learn anything. Why am I going to waste my time? Right? Nuts. Like that, yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. So when did you actually get into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu then? And why? Good question. <laughs> uh, I, I've never really liked fighting. You know, I was, I, I've always been a defensive guy. But I, sure. I was like an athletic kid, but I, I never liked fight. Every time in my, in, my, in my life where I got in like a fist fight and I hit someone, I would, it, it would make me upset. Oh, wow. I would I would hit someone and cry, you know, as a kid. So I always so it terrified me. So fighting just terrified. And one time I was I think I was in graduate school for acting, and I got really sick. And I had the flu, and I was just home for like three days straight. And a friend of mine was like, "You got to watch the UFC, the original days of UFC with okay. your boy Hoyt." You know. Right. So, but, but but like at that time, like it, like violence and blood, it, it, it kind of it did get me nauseous, but it just made me feel really. Like bad inside, okay. and watch the UFC, and that was brutal, right? But at the same time, what was interesting about it is you have like a hundred sixty-five pound Hoist Gracie beating up these monsters right. from the using like leverage and science and angles and technique, and I'm like, oh, it's not about like, dude, don't let me get angry. I'll fucking go nuts. It's not right. about that. It's about it's it's more mathematical. And I was always like a math guy college for like aerospace engineering wow. so for me oh there's something very like intellectual and mathematical about it that that isn't about like dude you don't, you've never seen me fight bro i can fight like <laughs> people have this idea that the crazier they go the better the fighter they are and i was like oh right. it actually has nothing to do with that it's about how calm you are how relaxed you can be in these situations and that intrigued me and then you know in the interviews after fights, Hoist would always say like, "What was your strategy, Hoist?" He'd be like, right. "You know, I just don't want to get hit. I don't want to hit anybody. I don't want to get hit." You know? So they it. they don't want to be hit. And they're like, "Okay, you heard it here first. And it right. was just—it was really—it kind of flipped my whole idea about what it meant to like defend yourself and what it meant to be in a, in a situation where you had to defend yourself. And I was like, "Oh, it's not about being like the, the guy who freaks out, or sure. the guy who's crazy, the." the mad dog guy who's on roids it's about being like precise and technical and trained so so that was the beginning of my interest in i didn't really have the balls to get onto a, a, a mat and, and i finally got on henzo gracie in new york okay because i was in my i was in my 20s i was doing comedy i was getting drunk <laughs> and i was um i was getting drunk and i was like you know f- fucking girls and sure. punching balls and getting fun <laughs> Being like, also a yoga teacher, so I was just kind of like, okay, that's crazy. It was a weird thing because on one level I thought like, oh, I'm so interesting, like I'm a comic and I get drunk and I get fights, but I'm a yoga teacher at nine a.m. And so, <laughs> but really it was just a life of no integrity. You know right. what I mean? It was just a, it was just a bullshit thing that in my head I thought it made me interesting, but really I was just I was being inauthentic. So I um, <laughs> so a, a guy's work security at the Laugh Factory in Times Square said. Okay told me that he's working at Henzo Gracie's. He said, man, you got to get into it. I was like, no, man, drink my fucking rum and coke. <laughs> sure. Um, but I finally, I don't know how he convinced me. I finally did it because it was like a, a free week trial. So that was the thing to get you in. Like, All right, let me try it for a week. Sure. And I remember you're down at the basement. This is before it became like, before John Donaher and Gordon Ryan, Gary Tony kind of made it this sort of like really vibrant, rich community. It was, right. uh, it was a lot seedier and it, it was like in the basement and on 30th Street, which is already a shitty part of town. You go there and you put in your gi. You remember the first time you put on a gi? It, you feel like a kid. You put your belt way too high. You put like sure. over your belly button and shit. You look stupid. You feel stupid. It's, it's too big. You're doing jumping jacks. And you're like, I'm such. I, I'm like, I, I can't be a guy 
almost 30 years old doing jumpy jacks with my pajamas. Right. It's just really weird. But I was like, I'll do it for a week and, okay. you know, humiliate, humiliate, humiliate. And then there's a point where all of a sudden, like, something gets tested. Okay. You know what I mean? And you and you kind of, your, your instincts and, and you, you learn something, you kind of like, oh, I escaped something that I didn't know I could. And, and it was just enough to get me to go, like, I'm going to keep fucking with this, you know? And it's just been a really interesting journey. There are times that I've been injured and I'm out of it. And, sure. you know, like injuries, hit by cars, back injuries. And almost every time that happens, I'm like, oh, now, I'm, now I'm approaching 40. Do I need to get back into the fucking dojo? Is it re- what am I get? I'm not, I'm not a competitor, so what am I getting out of it? Um, but then you get back into it, and there's something about it. I guess it's just really primal and necessary. Maybe for women too but particularly for men just like a sense of uh a a constant humility and you know respect for other people respect for yourself that you need to be reminded of it's a great way i mean unless you're gordon ryan you're like the the top of the fucking heap of course it's a great day completely humbled you know and allow yourself the ability to be humbled is is kind of a great a great thing. You but know? there's also a sense of accomplishment because, like you said, like yeah. I only rolled once in my life, and I'll I, I'll never do it again because I was so blown up after that one session. My God, I was lucky enough to have a black belt come over for a podcast, and then after we rolled before we podcasted and all that, it was fantastic. But yeah, like you said, I was humi- he, but mind you, he had like a hundred pounds on me, but I was hum- humiliated yeah. to shit. But then he showed me some techniques, and it was like. How the fuck did I pull this off on a guy that weighs a hundred more pounds sitting on top of my chest? Yeah, it's it's really wild. I mean, I, I look at it now like when I roll. I mean, I'm not rolling with like the biggest monsters in the world. Sure. But I roll some really good black belts and brown belts, and and I remember I, my grip would my grip would burn out and my hand that too. Yes, hurt. Yeah, all the and, and now. The fun part is learning the moments where you can just really just relax. Ah. I think it's a good thing. Anything in life where you can just acting, comedy, sure. jiu-jitsu, sex, it's all the same shit. <laughs> if you can just really just fucking breathe and relax and be in the moment, it's a really – the first time I discovered that I could just literally just kind of like go limp right. um, in the bottom position – while someone's trying their best to break an arm or choke me, and actually, I can I can affect with using very minimal. It, it's a pretty it's a pretty great feeling because it makes you realize like here's a trained person trying to injure me. I mean, granted, they're not punching. Yeah, me, of so, course. But they can't choke me. And they can't get an arm lock, and I'm literally doing nothing. Wow, it's a kind of cool feeling that you can you can evolve to the place where your 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 awareness, your kinesthetic awareness, is such that you can kind of like really be economical with your movement and your energy you know and i know you mentioned you didn't like violence and all that stuff but now that you've done some sort of combat do you want to branch out into any other type of like boxing kickboxing or even judo uh, no oh. <laughs> wrestling you maybe smile, bro you didn't want to fuck up the smile well Come you can on. do wrestling yeah it's because I, I, right? I, I be like i used to have the i don't i don't use a mouthpiece anymore which is stupid oh, shit. i really should. yeah I think me not having mouthpiece is a reminder that, like, okay, dude, like, <laughs> you're, you're not going crazy, you know. Be be aware. Maybe that's just an excuse. It's, you know, same reason you don't wear a condom. Well, I'm not. I'm not sleeping with skanks, but that you just don't. I just uncomfortable. I don't want them. Like talk one. Like talk one. Why would I? Why would I ever want to learn how to high kick? And I guess other things. Uh, I mean, it. there's Krav Maga, which is interesting because oh, yeah. I very there's applicable. Like real self-defense because some people say well jiu-jitsu isn't really you know it doesn't really apply to like a real-time street fight but at the same time like i I think the idea of a real street fight is almost mythical you you, you almost don't i mean how many times in your life have you needed to get in a street fight it's incredibly rare it is rare you got more fights in the schoolyard than you did in, in your adult life right so and my, and my my master, who's a, who, you know, he's a coral belt. He was in, from Brazil, from rough part of Brazil. He okay, said yeah. he's never been in a fight. Oh, wow. He's never been. In a, I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, look, in any situation, you have the option. Your options are to stay or to go. That's true. Too. Right. And he goes, and if you stay, um, he goes, you should always leave. And if you stay, you should have a really good reason. That reason shouldn't be your ego. Mm. If you're protecting, if you're protecting yourself or someone you love or, sure. or you know someone who needs it, 
but that's rarely the case. You know what I mean? Right. That you're actually using violence to protect somebody else. You usually use it because someone's like, "Hey, you're a douchebag. What you call me? I'm not a fucking douchebag." <laughs> Whatever. Like, gives a shit. Some guy calls you. People insult you. People get. I mean, think about all that's the fights true. people get. Road rage. I know. Is that really necessary? Nope. The bar fight or a street fight on the road because someone cut you off. Nope. It's so true. But we, because it's all our. It, really, at the end of the day, like your ego, your ego is just a reflection of your insecurity. Like I'm. He's he's this whole idea like the rap community. If someone disses you, right? If someone disses you and you're that upset, you're a little baby. <laughs> yeah. You're done, you dipshit. That is true. Oh, who gives a shit? <laughs> Okay, bye. <laughs> Don't hang out with guy. It's so dumb. It like is. these people realize like how stupid they sound when they get like, Oh, I don't know. disrespect me or you fucking made fun of my sister or my mom. Who gives a shit, dude? Then you go, Okay, well, we're not we're not gonna hang out. I don't like that. Yeah. Stupid. I know, right? Yeah, what can you do? What can you so have you I guess you never have to pull out your jujitsu during a performance but, or anything, have you? I I did and it Oh was, shit. It was, it was, ironically, it was one of the best moments of my life. Shut up. Oh. But uh, I was at a place called Belmont Lounge in uh, La Cienega. And um, <laughs> it's a pretty funny story. I, I was meeting a couple of friends of mine who who are who dancers on Dancing with the Stars, oh, right? Shit. Okay. On the staff, and they court, and, you know, um, right. this guy named Ames, the guy Paul. Um, and it was a Sunday night karaoke night. So everything about this is not tough. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> right. It's, it's West Hollywood, Dancing with the Stars, karaoke night. Yep. On a Sunday night. And I show up kind of late because James like, hey, man, I want to see you. And he goes, hey, and this girl, Aaron's here. And Aaron's this girl who I had, like, had a crush on. Right, right. So I show up there probably like, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock maybe. And everyone's drunk and I have a good time. I'm completely – so I literally just show up. Hey, James, what's up? Hey, what's up, Paul? I, I go and I hug Paul. And then when, when he went to hug me, his right. girl was at the bar. And this guy was at the bar. And this guy was probably like, he was probably, he was probably like 6'4", maybe 6'5". Okay. He, the best way to describe it, he was like he was like the third biggest dude at the fraternity. You know okay. what I mean? Or the fourth biggest dude. He wasn't a monster. But he was like big, I guess. <laughs> he was like linebacker size at UCLA. Okay. So he, I guess he... He like, like t trumped her. He put his hand up, like grabbed her. Vagina. Oh shit! And so, and I'm not privy to anything going on. And right. so that he very talk to James, and all of a sudden I look over, and this guy fucking hits Paul oh. in the face. Oh no! And, um, and they just start, and then, and it's chaos. They staff, they grab this guy, they bring him to the ground. He's going crazy. Shit. Tables are flipping, glasses are flipping over. Wow. Um, and I'm just sitting there like, what the fuck is going on? Paul comes outside. James and Paul come outside. This other guy who's also like a, a, a singer in New York, this black guy. I, Paul goes, my glasses got knocked off. Oh, no. Or I put down, can you go get my glasses? I go, I go, Paul, don't go in. Let me go in and get your glasses. Okay. You guys are drunk. You're fucked up. I have nothing to do with it. So, sure. so I go get the glasses. And their other friend gets punched in the face by this other guy. Oh, no. This this other, you know, he's he's also maybe six two, six three. So, he's, so these two guys are obviously just bullies looking for a fight. Yeah. So then the, we clear. Everyone's outside, and I'm I get Paul's glasses. The, the two uh, the two black dudes, and they're like squaring off. They're like they're like Queensberry rules in it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> love it. You know, so like the type of thing where they go to the ground, and then they get back up. Sure. And it's and I, as a sober person, you realize how stupid it all is. Right. Nothing do with anything right and i'm going on okay and then um and then james's guy they're gonna go find a place to fight right and um the rest of the bar is clearing out people are following us down and the the, the bar the bar back the bartender like who, who, who's who's who like who's the good guy here <laughs> literally i go no these are the good guys they're dancers that's literally came out of my mouth oh well I'm like dancers can't be bad guys sure so so I said, no, they're good guys. They're dancers. with dancers with the start. And then, you know what happened? I think they were, like, kind of, like, squaring off. But it was dumb. She was, like, ticky-tack, like, hitting his hat off and shit. Sure. And then Aaron, the girl I had a crush with, on, she pulls up an Uber next to me. Okay. And she's, like, opens her and get in. So I'm thinking, 
all right, let me get out of this crazy bullshit. Right. I'm like, L.A. with this girl who's, like, super hot. There you go. I've watched forever. So I get in, I get in the um, the back of the Uber, and I swear to God, this is exactly how, like, right as I get in, the, the big guy, oh the guy who's, like, 6'4", the white guy, he yeah. comes across from the Uber, and he sacrifices my friend James. <gasps> James goes flying and falls, like, onto the, the pavement. Oh, no. And then he gets up to, like, you know, and James get up, and I go, I go, fuck. It's literally, like, devil, angel, devil. Like, just keep going and fuck this girl. But then, like, the bigger part of me is, like, you got to get out of the cab. You got to get out of the Uber, you know? So I was like, I got to go. So I get out, and um, and this guy's, like, you know, kind of, like, squaring up. Yeah. And I grab his arm. Oh, shit. I was like, hey, you know, this with my right arm, his left arm. And he just kind of, like, shrugs me off. And then he face up James, so his back is to me. Oh no, big mistake. He's like, like maybe six three, six four, but one of those like long, slope shouldered necks. Sure. You know, he's doing too many of these fucking things. So his shoulders <laughs> down here, and his neck is just like, and literally, it was almost like God going like, "You've been doing this for a decade now." Right. There's a neck for you, bro. <laughs> right, grab it. <laughs> and I'm like. It was a little like I get it, I get it. So, but I'm like, <laughs> and and, they're, and James is kind of like they're squaring off. So I just go fuck it. So I jump up with the guy and I and I, you know, go to try to rear naked, right? Right. I my arm around his neck and right away he he uh, I'm over his chin. Oh, okay. So he I'm had some defense. Before. I'm like, oh fuck, because he was bright. He's gonna literally flip me over, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Not trained. He goes. Huh? Oh, <laughs> he looked up. What an idiot! He like, he like, I like. So I got under his chin. Now, once he was, he was looping, so I couldn't get this. But I used my fucking Irish potato eating chin, and I just like, <laughs> this was one cry. This, and I just went. Oh, you just crushed it! I Popeye chinned him. I was just oh. like, and I got his, and he, and, and we just went, woo, like timber. timber. Yeah, I have a scar. I mean, you can't really see, but I have a scar here because I right. landed. So oh. I. uh and I landed, and and, yeah. and I was, you know, I was still just kind of like, and then I felt him. He was gurgling, and then he was doing. Then he was like, and so I, I felt when I once I felt the gurgle, I knew he was, he was done. Out, yeah. So I stood up, and he was doing like the stanky leg. He was just kind of like, shut like up, just, just like the stanky leg on the ground. Oh no! Literally, like I Michael Corleone did, where I just like, <laughs> stood up, slowly just walked out, like walked straight. Whoa left on side street and I was walking about half a block down and then James and, oh, and this shit. other guy were like James was like what the fuck was that you did like a wrestling move you put him like a sleeper hole <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like I'm like let's, let's keep walking you know like right. let's fucking out of here because I didn't know oh my god the funny thing is when I was choking him and, we, and he was like there's a guy like he's killing him <gasps> shut he's up killing him. that's how people die <laughs> Because the movies, when you come up with somebody, you go, huh, they're like, huh, and they're dead. Yes. They're just like, no, they go out for literally five seconds. Oh, my so, God. Um, but people don't know, like, you come in a movie and they go, huh, and the person's like, and they're dead. It's r- ridiculous. Obviously, if you want to choke someone to death, you have to choke them. Then you have to wait, like, three minutes for the fucking brain to die. Right. <laughs> and pull the pressure. It's it's really hard. Um, oh, my God. So, anyway, um. <laughs> We walk. We walk up the street. We come back down La Cienega. Okay. The whole, the whole block must have been. It must have been like a ten minute, you know, walk. Right. Uh, now, mind you, the whole bar had cleared out. Different people were fighting. There was a melee. Like <laughs> just God. Come, coming back down. It was empty, dude. Shit. Because the minute somebody goes unconscious, dude, it's weird. People right. are, people are people are weirded out. I know. And the one, and I remember this. And I, and I try to find that guy later. Not, not in a way of like, meh. one of the things I believe about jiu-jitsu okay. that I was always told from the beginning was, you know, my first uh, my first jiu-jitsu teacher, not hands up, my first one was like, um, he's like, you know, like, jiu-jitsu go because you go to a bar, you get drunk, you get in a fight, you punch someone, they punch you, you have a scar, they have a scar, you hate each other forever, you have a scar for life. But you go to the bar, you get a fight with someone, you choke them out, they go to sleep, they have a dream, they wake up, your friend, you have a dream together. <laughs> and it's, it. and, and, I, and I've, I've never seen that, but I've heard stories.
stories sure. they know people get like choked out by Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then they wake up like dude what did you do to me I want to learn and then they become uh, friends and they go to the gym and they you know yeah you always hear that so, there's always hear stories about that so yeah, I, yeah. I was I kind of want to find this guy because <laughs> in my head I'm like here's a bully you know he's probably like just out of college maybe like 24 25 right he thinks he's a tough guy he likes bullying he likes grabbing women like this he's like he likes being a fucking piece of shit right and he got choked out he, he just he woke up in the middle of La Cienega, having no clue what the fuck happened. Jeez. Now, you could say that I sucker choked him. Kind of. I did grab his arm first. Right, you know? right. Um, but still. But the sucker choke. He just choked. <laughs> it's good thing about You can't sucker choke. You just choke. So, but he woke up. And when you, I don't know if you've ever been choked out before or training or whatever. It, it's, or you don't, you don't wake up like, who the fuck did that, man? Exactly, Yeah. Wake, you're like get me, get me home. Somebody, somebody, get me home. Yeah, you know, um, and and it's really humbling. Like I was training one time, and there was this Russian girl. She was a, a blue belt, and a lot of times with blue belts, you just kind of go, uh, "Oh, here, you know, here's a position. You give them clock choke, okay. blah, blah blah." And at the last minute, you go, "I'll just break out of it." Sure, right? Give them everything except for that last ten percent, and then you go. I'll get out. And pretty it's a woman. So I was like, she starts going on the talk show. I'm like, okay, I get out of it in my head. But in reality, I want out, dude. Sure. And, I, and I out like snoring flat in the ground. I went out on my knees. So I kind of was just on my knees and then kind of like, 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 you know, sitting up on my knees, but my head just dipped and I opened them and everyone's like looking at me. And, uh, and I was like, what? And they're like, you went out. I was like, no, you didn't. And they're like, yeah, you went out for a couple of seconds. I was like, oh shit. What do you mean? Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here. So, yeah, but you kind of because everyone's yeah, and and like for like a week afterwards, I just felt so small. You know, I just felt like I felt like this little guy in my voice was all timid. It's very it's very humiliating. So I think I in my head I'm like I hope this guy this happened to him and somehow it like changed him in a weird way. Sure, maybe he woke up in, in a bizarre. And I believe that I do believe that when you punch and you kick and you do. Like you're not going to make a better person, no. but when you choke out, you can. I believe that's true. You know, true. I think it's scarier to be choked out than it is to be hit in the face. I would think. Yeah, yeah, and particularly again, <clears throat> we just go unconscious. This is fucking bizarre. I know, you right? Know? Yeah. So I, I try to f- track that guy down. I never found him. You know, but uh, well, if you're I listening, send us an email. Let us know how you're doing. <laughs> what, what, at the point it was, um, it was four years. Ago. It's not, you know. Oh shit. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, you're also a huge MMA fan now. Like, it's not like how it used to be back in the Barbarian days, obviously. Like, there's rules, you know, there's classes and everything. So you are a huge fan, and you get to interview some of the best of the best on Adam Hunter's show, MMA Roasted. Again, former guest. Shout out to Adam, friend of the show. And, like, to be, like, again, a fan of watching them and then being able to talk to them on a peer level, like, you know what I mean? As a... As a UFC fan yourself, how, how was that like the first time Adam was like, why don't you come on my show and talk to some guys from the UFC? Well, I think the, the first time, well, you know, keep in mind, like, like, uh, I don't know if this sounds, how it sounds, but like as an actor and, um, and also being at Enzo's place, like it, it, it doesn't feel that big. It's, it, it's not like. Oh my God! I'm starstruck. I mean, yes, that does happen. Like the first time I met George St. Pierre, who traded Henzo's place. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's different. I, mean, I made a whole bit about that, where like it, the, the bit is about how like you know, like a guy can turn you gay. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Like this is like I think I was a white belt or like one stripe blue belt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I was at Henzo's and like everyone like it was very much like you wear your gi, you don't walk around with your shirt off. You know, gotcha. show some yeah. fucking respect. Except, except for like George St. Pierre, he's he's you know wearing his boy shorts, <laughs> and he, he's like a Greek fucking god. You know, this is ten years ago, right? And he, and he's the nicest guy. He's walking around. So I'm sitting next to my buddy, and we're both like white belts or whatever. And uh, and he goes, "Hey, hey, what's up, George?" He shakes George's hand, and I I don't know George, so I'm just kind of like fiddling with my belt like not looking up like oh hi and then i hear like hello <laughs> love it that's canadian hello right and i look up and he's like glistening he's fucking <laughs> chiseled with his blue eyes 
his hand is extended down to me, and I'm like looking up, and I was because my, my friend's like, dude, dude, I'm like, what? And I literally went like this. I went like this because I had longer hair. I went like this. Oh my god. I put my hair behind my ear, oh. and I, how you doing? I was like, oh my god, I just turned gay for a second. I just literally did the thing that girls do when they see. Gonna say you started flirting with GSP, man. So, uh, so yeah, but anyway, yeah, oh, so you do funny. kind of, and also sometimes like when you, you, with Adam in this podcast, a lot of these guys, they're in their car, they're on their way to training. It's so, it's so casual. That's, that's why I love it. You don't even recognize them as the guy from the fight. Sure. You're, oh, oh, it's you. You know what I mean? Um, I'm trying to think people who like on that podcast that have sort of, um, you know, because usually it's people, we get champions for sure. Yeah, of course. Um, but usually it's not like, we're not getting freaking Stylebender. We're not getting fucking uh, um, Oozman. We're not getting, who was a champion. Um, yeah. But we do get we do get champions. And, and it's, uh, but there's there's something about the world of MMA and, and these this community that um, mm-hmm. just, you, you get punched in the face that much. You're just not, there's not a lot of pretension or airs. They don't. They don't surround themselves with like you know, y- yes men, sycophants who who separate them from reality, like it, like in true. Hollywood. You know what I mean? Where like you know people walk around with an umbrella over them. Just kind of <laughs> that's still I, I don't know. You know yeah, like Cat Williams like had a guy who just would walk around with an umbrella over him. <clears throat> wow. And 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 I get it because you're trying to create this aura and this persona, but. In general, with with MMA and UFC, it's it's like it's like th- these are like blue collar guys. They, they yeah. grew up in a in a fucking dump truck, you know. They grew up behind a in a trailer, and now they're making. That's why they should be complaining about their money, but they're not because for them, if they make forty grand on a fight, even though UFC just raked in like three million dollars, right? Anyway, uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I never feel that like that like. That. I think th- there might be some people who I would feel that way with, or at least just some sense of like intimidation. You know, and, like if, if there was if a Diaz brother was on, I, I would feel comfortable making jokes. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that. That's the same thing with me. Like even when I look for to try and get MMA guests on, and I, I'm I'm like, fuck, this is lighthearted show. Like you know what I mean? I'm not like a reporter that's going to ask those serious questions. So not like how Adam does it, but a little bit more lighter than Adam. Like you know what I mean? So it's like. I don't want to get, like, say, Adia's brother, and I'm like, I say the wrong thing, and this fucking guy, even though I'm in Toronto, next thing you know, next week, I see him walking down my street looking for me. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, asked that, I've asked that about Adam a couple times. I'm like, there must be some times where you feel like... <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, he, and, he, and he has had some dicey moments where... But, oh. but I think his brand is so um, specific now that people yeah. really, they, they get that that's what it is. And now you look like a you look like a bitch if you take it personal because like okay you're you're getting mad at the MMA roasted guy you know what right I mean? who's, who's doing shit just for for jokes so I think he's kind of um uh I think he's kind of uh whatever I think he's kind of been able to create a sort of sanctuary for himself that way no it's and you plus know? he's also featured on UFC with all his comedy specials on there too like you know what I mean so it's like he's integrated into the MMA world now as the MMA comedian right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's yeah, awesome, yeah. of course. No, most definitely. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot quickly. Who's your Mount Rushmore of MMA? Oh, oh, okay. Um, my Mount Rushmore. I mean, look, I'm always going to say GSP. Uh, me too, okay. Yeah. That's one. Um, God damn, man. I mean, you know, it's weird because you can go back. You go back to Hicks and Gracie. You know, and, and that all shit. I kind of feel like you got you got to admit that the people who are doing MMA now are better. Well, yeah, I'm saying for for who they were at their time. Because again, it, this is like in every sport, the argument. It, like you have the exceptions, right? Like the Jordans and the LeBrons, but yeah, yeah. For the for the for the for the um, you know, you got to go with you got to for me, you got to go with GSP, right? Um, I mean, I think. You gotta go, with John Jones, man. You know, I know he's kind of like ignominious right now, but like, um, what he did, yeah. You know, like what he's able to do. Um, you know, maybe there's a time I'd give to Ronda as as female, but not anymore, really. Okay. Uh, 
you can't kind of can't give it to Amanda Nunes anymore, really. Even though she took her title back, I feel like she kind of. Uh, so shit, man. Uh, for the third one, goddamn. I mean, maybe yeah. You can't give it to Fedor either, because because you know you can always argue that like he never he never made a stamp in the UFC. So and plus all his fixed fights in Russia. Like I'm sorry, you can't count that shit. Like you know what I mean? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. John John Jones, maybe I can't say Ngano yet because his story, because no. the Rushmore, kind of like you've already, you've already, like who changed the game the most? That's what That's I base John- mine on. Because I have like the only current person I would have would be would be Jones, if anything. That's everyone else is either the generation right before Hickson. or the early years. I would say Hickson, okay. Jones, okay, and then um for for the next person uh. God, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of drawing a blank on who it could be, because everyone I think of, it's they're all oh GSP, you know. Yeah. Dixon, GSP for me. Now I'll throw in Silva. Yeah. So you got to put Silva in there. I'm sorry. Silva's a who? big one. Anderson Silva. Really? No, Anderson. Okay. Silva. Come on. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. You got to. Feel like- his fall was pretty bad. Well, you know, you know what? That's the thing with with MMA athletes. Like, you know what I mean? Once they go towards their end of their career, and if they stick around too long, that's what everyone remembers and doesn't remember the early years. Especially if you came into the sport late. Like, a lot of people caught Tito Ortiz at the back end of his career, but didn't appreciate what he did at the beginning. And I think he should be on the route, yeah. Mount Rushmore too. Even Shamrock is another example. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. there's all kinds of these old school guys. I don't know Severin even too because he introduced like the whole wrestling thing. But or, or, like, yeah. there's all kinds yeah, of people can, out there. It, it's it's sort of like like who who like who changed the game the most? I mean, in that level, then you guys say Hoist. You know what I mean? Yeah, he changed. He introduced it to the world, really. So, um, but also you you can't really look at him and say he was one of the greatest. He just he just introduced Brazilian Jiu Jitsu into MMA, really. Right. Well, I guess you could call him the founding father of MMA, right? That would be fair. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so keep that title. I would rather have that because there will be no one other than that, right? Yeah. Because exactly. <laughs> that's what they always say. Oh, you always want to be the first because that's the one thing that no one could ever take away from you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> well, speaking of first, what came first in your career? Comedy or acting? I, I went, I, I, definitely acting. I went, to, oh. I went to graduate acting. I okay. went to MMA. <laughs> I, went to, I went to MMA school to uh, NYU okay. to get my acting break. Oh shit! And uh, yeah, so I got MFA there, and um, and I always I was always a very physical actor. You know, it was almost to, and to this day. So I'm just a really like it, it's how I engage in the character, like the okay. the, the physical re- characters is, is to me how I connect. So. Um, so same thing with comedy. I, I I started doing comedy because I was doing a lot of theater in New York. And if anyone who does theater in New York, if anyone who does theater, they realize that like you know, when you're an actor, you're just a, you're kind of a prop. You know? uh-huh. And depending on the director you worked with, I can't like I worked with Tommy Kale who directed Hamilton. Oh, nice. Um, and he's just, he's a genius. You know, he's a brilliant, funny, sharp guy. Hmm. So he. It, Come in with a million opinions. What if we tried this? He's not going to be. He's not, not going to feel intimidated, or he, he, he's not going to be. Able, he's going to be able to process it. Right. It's probably directors and these these writers who have who are so ensconced in their own bullshit, and they think they're mm, you're just an actor, Bill, with their black turtle axe, these fucking dipshits, and they kind of like you just find yourself in situations where you're oh. being you're being treated like. Like, like, who the fuck are you to have an opinion, Mister Actor? Right. And then you kind of go, oh, I, 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 I'm working on the character. I've been rehearsing this character. I've been studying. I'm thinking about this character, just this character, right. and how he makes it this journey. And you're thinking about the, the image, the visual, the costume. You're thinking about everything. So I actually know the character better than you. Mm-hmm. So if I, what this character should think or do, or whatever, like, there's a good chance I'm going to be more right than you. You know. So I just found myself in situations where, in particular, I was doing this play called Burning Blue on Broadway. You, you can look it up, Burning Blue, Bill Dawes, Naked Aggression. There's an article about it. I got fired from it. Oh, shit. But, I, but it, was a, it was a great role for me. It, okay. was, it was like made the lab for me. I was like, it was like I, I wasn't the lead lead, so I got to, it didn't 
the play didn't hinge on my performance. Right. But I just got to steal the show. I was like a hasty from Arkansas, and I was just always talking about like, hey man, I grew up. We had this cow named Bessie. I used to fuck man. He was so fun. He's just a great, easy character. Sure, that's awesome. And there's a line. They're looking. They're asked about gays in the military, and the guy goes, "Has is your bunk that gay?" And I go, "Well, he never copped my knob," <laughs> which is okay. Line. And then he goes, "Look, have you ever slept with the?" Remember the same sex, communist party, or a small, small animal. Okay. No, character to talk about. So I go, define small, and it would get a big, big laugh. But <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm doing it for a couple of weeks. I'm going through it, getting laughs. And, you know, I'm getting great reviews. The best reviews I've ever had. Awesome. As an actor. But it was sticking my crawl like he never copped my knob because I had a very deep Arkansas hayseed accent. So you're not aspirating your T's. It's like, you never copped my knob. It, it, it's like, I, I, you listen to it, it doesn't really. He never copped my knob. Like, you cop a feel. He never copped a feel. Right. Or whatever. He copped my knob. It just didn't... It, phonetically, it just was a tough thing for my character to say. Okay. So I always felt like the audience, like, 50% of the audience is going to hear it. 50% is going to be a little bit confused. Sure. So the next line about define small won't get a big laugh. So I said, I said, Dave, now is word perfect for this play. Word right. perfect. Chad Lowe, God bless him, great guy, but he's the lead in the play. He's a TV actor from L.A., so he's like he's like 80% with the lines. You know what I mean? He's paraphrasing half of his fucking monologues. Oh, shit. Okay. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. what you do in TV. You kind of like kind of do a general approximation of what was written. Sure. But because kind of the name for the play, he's left alone. I'm word perfect. I go, I go can I change one word? Right. To the playwright. Okay. Playwrights, DM, DMW Greer, DW Greer, uh, Former military guy, I go, can I change one word? Mm-hmm. He goes, what word? I go, I go. Instead of saying he never copped my knob, can I say uh, he never gobbled my knob? I think it's a funnier word. I think everyone will hear it. Yep. So then when You're I do right. the, I, it'll be a bigger laugh. Bill, Bill, you know I'm a playwright. This play is won awards. You're just an actor. Okay. Just say the. You're a good actor. You can make it work. And I was like, I, I, okay, sure, but this I think this one word will make it a little bit better. Right. I kept asking. Fun- Okay, fine. Just do it. <laughs> so, do this play. I go, is your bunk my gag? I go, well, he never gobbled my knob. Huge laugh. Awesome. Same sex, kind of small animal. Define small, applause break, bringing the fucking house down. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I knew it. Right. I knew that my instincts were right. And I fucking, and I'm, and then the next day, this dumb fuck, DM, DMW Greer, this oh. asshole, calls me Bill, you got to put it back, Bill. You got to put it back. Oh. You were there. You saw what happened. I know, but still, you got to trust me. Fuck you'll make off. it. I go, Dave, I'm asking you for. This is a play that's going to be months. Right. I'm asking for one word, dude. I know. Can you give me one word? Just trust me. And this is just an anal retentive guy sure. who isn't that art who hasn't done anything else i mean they ended up making a they ended a movie of it's called burning blue okay and then movie of it and um it was a garbage movie it was a, it was an average play and uh he was just too dumb to be able to realize like hey you have an actor who this is all he wants to do this is all he cares about and you were such a micromanaging fucking anal retentive fucking asshole that you're going to tell him he can't change one fucking word and it works better and you saw it happen in real time and you're oh such God. a fucking like overprotective micromanaging dipshit you can't give it to him i know right so here, here's the corollary and he, he, he didn't give it to me other shit okay. happened and we getting fired from the play there's an article in your clothes called bill dawes burning blue naked aggression hilarious so <laughs> cut to i'm on broadway now okay with Tommy in a broadway play um millions of dollars nfl's backing it oh shit i had this i had this scene where i talk about vince lombardi again i'm playing a guy from now i'm playing a guy from uh Another guy from uh, Tennessee, Paul Horning. Okay. So, not as lippy, like, but you know, he's got he's got like a little bit like almost like Texas like yeah. And I'm I'm talking about uh, how Vincent Barry has his voice. He goes, "Man, there, there's a dog. One time I'm practicing, everyone's trying to get this dog to get a field, and then Vince comes out. He's like, got that dog, and this dog boom, just skedaddles out of it. And it's, it's a funny, cute little speech sure. monologue, <laughs> and it's supposed to talk about like the power that that he had, this presence. Yeah, and I don't." laughs i do physical comedy with it it was a little probably out of character to be honest with you but it, it right. worked and then before we opened tommy kill goes hey man i think we're gonna cut this scene we have another scene about like that's with the guy about free agency 
And I said, oh man, no, please, I need this. It's so important. He goes, he goes, he goes why? I go, I go, I go, he goes, if you come, he goes, give, give, me a, give me a pitch tomorrow about why you need it. Okay. And we'll see. That's fair. So I um, and I wrote this fucking giant email about why it was important for my character. The awesome. The story of the book. I present to him. He said, <laughs> okay, we'll keep it. Now keep in mind, this is millions of dollars on the line with wow. this play. And this is a big moment, a big scene sure. that I'm in where I want to do this goofy dog monologue. And he goes, we'll keep it. So he tells the NFL, tells all the producers, we're going to keep it. I do the, I do the monologue. Yeah. This play ends up running for nine months. Wow. About three months into the run, I go, oh, this monologue is stupid. <laughs> He's right. Like, it shouldn't be in the play. Right. It has, it's out of place. Okay. It doesn't have anything to do with the plot. It doesn't really speak to Vince Lombardi or my character. It's just sort of like a goofy, fun moment. And I was a stand-up comic at the time, so me, it was like, I could do my little comedy monologue. Gotcha. But, okay, right, makes sense. But for him, it was more important to have okay. an actor show up excited every day and makes do the work sense. and be excited about coming to stage and, and, and put his best into it than, like, you know, making a scene that was marginally better for the story because he cares about fucking actors. And that's why he co creates fucking Hamilton with Lemo and Miranda it's the biggest Broadway show of all time that's the type of people who make great art not this DMW Greer fucking piece of shit yeah no kidding and and you know what again it's the old guard it's the fucking older generation that's like okay look at it this way look how much good content is regularly dropped nowadays because of collaborations people working together versus back in the 80s and early 90s when one good or two good movies would come out a year like you know what I mean so it's like come on man get a fucking clue yeah 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 so, but of course, but of course, that guy's and that director, Dave Hickok or whatever it is, John Hickok, and they, they haven't really done shit since then because, of course, they haven't because that's how they operate. They operate yeah. as, as it's the small minds, you know. Yeah, no well, kidding. Oh, that's awesome! So, th- how did stand up come after then? Like, were you just acting and you're like, so I got fired. okay, I got fired that play, yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing with this theater, with these these dipshits? Sure. Who are telling me, like, how brilliant they are all the time, and these mediocre new plays, off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway. I hadn't done Broadway. I had done one Broadway play at the time, which was bad. So, I, like, so a friend of mine was doing it, and he was like, you should do it. And, he, and I was like, come on, like, you'll be you'll funny, you're funny, guys. So he, like, we, I got drunk. He bribed me, paid for my cab downtown. I went to this open mic, put my name in a hat. <laughs> when Basically prepared to three minutes trying to riff sure. on some shit. This is maybe like 2004, maybe. Oh, okay. Uh, try to riff about some shit. And I just bombed. But I got like maybe like a couple titters. So I had like this okay. realization of, A, who cares that you bombed? Everyone Like does. it's not that. You, yeah. you bomb in front of a bunch of like stupid bitches that you would never have a, want to have coffee with. You know what I mean? A bunch of, you know, they're, they're at a fucking bar show in the Lower East Side like... <laughs> You give a shit, bombed in front of them, who gives a fuck? It's true. And number two, like, well, I don't want to bomb also. You know what I mean? So then I kind of like started thinking, like, what can I joke about? What, where, where's, and my foray into it was really just a lot of physical comedy. And, and I just did a lot of weird physical stuff from a very male point of view. Mm-hmm. And I'm still in the, still the place where I'm trying to kind of like negotiate, like, is it too much? Is it, too, is it sexist? Is it racist? Is it this? You, know, you kind of have to kind of go back and forth. But at the end of the day, like, you get into comedy for the reason you get into comedy. And part of it for me is just to have fun and to push buttons and to like, and to like be a bit of a clown. I mean, people use that word as a negative way, but like, yeah, I'm a bit of a clown. I don't give a shit. You call me a clown. Sure. Yeah, no, and, and, and I love that you said it too. Push your button. That's what comedy was. You push it and you yeah. keep pushing it and you keep put, that's what makes it oh. funny. And I don't know how you guys do it nowadays. Cause if I was a comedian, I would have given up, because of this fucking snowflake society that we're in now. And like how you said it, what is going too far? Like, would you think 20 years ago you would be asking yourself those questions? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I get both sides. I also get that, like, your job is entertain an audience, right? And um, you can't just go up there and be like, fuck you, cunt, you know? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh so, so you, so there is a delicate way to do everything, um, but, and I think that's the fun of it, though. So get get a point of view that maybe. I mean, look, this is why Bill Burr is one of the goats. You know, this is why sure. Bill Burr is arguably either on Rushmore or, or standby on Rushmore because he has real he has points of view that are really people don't want to agree with, 
but then he proves it with rigorous logic. You know, he goes, why are women getting, he goes, we all know why women get paid less in sports. Because no one fucking watches it. And if you really fucking cared, it's feminist, you'd show up to WNBA games, but you're not. You're watching the Real Housewives. You're watching women tear each other down because that's what you fucking want. I don't. You don't want team coalesce and work together and fucking win. You don't want. You want to watch bitches like make fun of each other for having miscarriages and shit. I never understood when this whole turn happened. When the truth is now something negative. When you're just pointing out what is right in front of. Like you know what? Like I could understand if it was an actual something horrible or if like you know you're really stereotyping. But if it's right there yeah. in front of you, like how yeah. how like how can you get upset? Yeah, I know, but also, you know, look, I, I have I have a daughter who just at Berkeley, and um, she uh, uh, she's very much part of the the uh, the woke the woke, and she's a very smart, very funny person. Okay, um, and I get I get her point of view. Sure. You know, her point of view is basically like you don't have to be mean. You you can include everyone. You don't have to make your comedy about about you know pissing off marginalized people and i get that um so i do think there is there is like a little there's a there's a balance and something you know and the truth the truth about my daughter is like she, she's an amazing girl but at the same time like she obviously has like unresolved issues that she's not dealing with and the way that the gen z works now is that they they feel you know it used to be sticks and stones this is obviously very hacky sticks and stones yeah. would break your bones but now it's like um, six stones may break my bones, but words will kill you. I you know. know, I know. And uh, you know, I now. tweeted one time. And it's so funny. It, it, the idea that the things I tweet or say come off as Republican is so bizarre to me because I'm not like I'm not Republican. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I just can't get behind the republic the, the general Republican ideology. It's just, it's just a little bit like. So what you're saying, no abortions, you're saying no gay marriage, you're saying no weed, shut the fuck up. Right. All three of those things should be federally, like, mandated, in my opinion. Come up so, here to um, Canada, all three of them are. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, I don't get that. But, but at the same time, there is, you have to kind of look at some of the shit that's being done by liberals. And, and thank God that uh, Republicans and conservatives are at least calling them out. Yeah, of course. For some of the bullshit. No, of you know, course. And, that, we, we and that's it. the thing. It's a little bit bullshit on both sides. And like I always say, when humans, it goes for every case. It's either too little or too much. We can never find that perfect snuggle point in the middle. I don't know why. Yeah, it's very, I don't know how it is in Canada, but definitely, definitely in America, like you're kind of like, you got you to gotta pick a lane. And it's funny because some people said, that's so weird. Oh, you should be, you should be like a, 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 a Republican <laughs> comic and get on Fox News. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> Like nah, that's crazy. Nah, because I have way too many jokes about how much I love abortion. So I there just, you go. You know, or I lend weed and like, like the idea of being opposed to gay marriage to me is just so stupid. So I think I, I think what needs to happen is there needs to be like a really charismatic libertarian leader. There you go to come about who who has like a lot of socially liberal kind of ideas, but also with with a mechanism that's like I'm, I'm liberal, but I'll, hey, hey, but also stop. Like, there's nobody on the liberal side or the Democrat side who's like, okay, yes, yes, trans rights, but also take it down a notch. Right. And I feel that they have that, like, you know, here in Sweden and, and different uh, Scandinavian European countries, they're kind of like, they're stopping puberty blockers because they kind of go, ah, okay, you know, we're realizing that we don't know enough. Sure. And because they're not so entrenched in, like, gender ideology, they're, they're, not, they're not going to have to toe, like, a company line. But in America, like... Regardless of the studies about suicidal ideation, regardless of the studies about puberty blockers and everything else, they, they can't say or do anything that can go against the general narrative of, like, let's help disenfranchise people, even if, as opposed to going, like, maybe there are different ways to help uh, to help different disenfranchised communities and minorities sure. to feel accepted and to feel more included and have leg up. Other than complete capitulation to every, yeah. to the, the smallest faction of that group. You know what I mean? What I, always, that's just where, what I always say is there's the right way and then there's the way to get rich. So. Yeah, exactly. You Whatever, I mean? anything. I mean, because no one wants to look at it, but you, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but you got to look at the fact that, you know, the, 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 the top, I think it was the, the top 10, the top 20 billionaires in the world or in America, the top 20 billionaires in America, 
their their fortunes doubled during the pandemic. Wow, that's nothing to think about. That's nothing to look at. I know doubled the, the not the number of billionaires doubled, but the the top twenty billionaires their fortunes doubled during the pandemic. Right. No, no fucking red flags there at all. Anyone? <laughs> well, we're fucking we're drinking tap water because we're fucking like, you know what I mean? We're taking fucking scooters because we don't want we can't fill up our tank. And, I know. You know, so like you got to at least look at the fact that like you know how much surge you know how much a, 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 a transition surgery is. I'm not saying that like people shouldn't transition or anything sure. like that, but I'm saying like if you're getting a hundred thousand dollars, you're getting paid as a surgeon to transition someone like. Maybe take a look at at like where is it necessary, or or, or are there a lot of surgeons saying it's necessary because they're making a huge payday off of it. Well, a lot of drug companies making a huge payday, yep. and nobody ever wants to look about it. Look at that. I know. Well, and I know that's. I don't want to get. get a, I'm not. I don't have a problem with the trans community. I know my my daughter is like has lots of friends in it, and I and I think there needs to be a lot of help. But I just think this idea that that like. There's one panacea solution for every. Um, I know. Every dysphoria, it just seems it's 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 scary. And when you have kids, it's it's scary that like things are being that these massive surgeries and and treatments are being done. Like, you know what? It's cool. Just take a little testosterone. My entire life, I was told you take testosterone, you're going to fucking get cancer and die of a heart attack. Right. You know, because I had the opportunity to take testosterone when I was an athlete in high school. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And people were like, oh, "Do you take testosterone? It's going to fucking." ruin you yeah it's gonna make you infertile it's gonna fucking kill your balls. I know, all these things all yep yep and now it's just like just take some testosterone it's fine you're 12 no worries i know you look at it we just gotta we, we have to have the ability as democrats and liberals to at least look at it and Thank go you. is and that, and when they're looking at it and they're actually doing peer-reviewed studies about these these medic you know like they do in, in scandinavia they're like, okay wait a second we actually don't really know the long-term side effects maybe we should peel it back a little bit so there's a little more discussion, but you you bring up the idea that we should have a discussion. I mean, Bill Maher brings it up, mm-hmm. and uh, in real time, he goes like, "At the minute a woman says I should, you don't bring up the dick saw." He says that, and there's a petition to get him canceled. Jeez, you, you know. Yeah. But but I I, I feel like the good news is he's not canceled, and be, and as as you keep, it's like the boy cried wolf. If everyone's getting canceled, then what? Then what? We all start over from zero after everyone's canceled. That's... Start fresh. And that's what I don't understand. Like, I'm all for, like how you said, support both sides. I see both sides. Again, yeah, if you're tearing someone down and you're making someone feel uncomfortable, I totally agree. Like, maybe you should bring it back a bit. But at the same time, what's the end game here? Do you want to cancel everything? Do you want it to go back to the Stone Age where you couldn't laugh, where there was no entertainment? Like, like, where do you want it to end? Like, I don't understand. Like, what I always say is, give me what you want me to follow and I'll try my best to get there. Like, you know what I mean? Because... A lot of people say you can't change old people, you know, the way they are, it is what it is. Some people are able to change and kudos to them, but some people are just stuck in their ways. But to me, if they're trying and they're not doing it purposefully, how can you cancel them and how can you go after these people? I, 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 again, we could be here all night talking yeah. about this shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah, no, hilarious. I, I, think, I think that, and I also think the idea that like getting canceled, like sure, like if you're talking about like messing with children yeah, that's a different story. You should just fucking die. Assault, get canceled. But for jokes, every time they're like, "Oh, this person's canceled," no one's canceled. Dave Chappelle is most certainly not canceled. No, no one's getting canceled for a joke. You know, Joe Coy did a joke about finding out his son was gay and then stabbing him, and then they say he's not canceled. He got a movie with Steven Spielberg. I know. You know, they're jokes, and I think that that in a way, it's like getting canceled for jokes is almost like the new free publicity. You know what I mean? It's I kind of a it's true. It's, 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 it's kind of a great thing for my comedy. And it's a weird time we live in, my friend. It's a very weird, weird times. I just hope the next generation... But it's also, it's, it's, not a, it's, not, it's not a bad time. I'm telling you, though, it's not a bad time for comedy. I mean, I have some jokes where, like, some booker's like, well, it's problematic, and, uh-huh. you know, whatever. But in general, like, the audiences, um, they don't care. And I'll, sometimes I go out there and I go, hey, look, I'm going to say stuff that's offensive. And I say stuff that's offensive because I have childhood trauma I'm working out. There you go. As, as well as, like, as well as, like, abandonment issues. So I want to provoke you, but I don't want you to leave. Sure. Which is a weird place to be in, so just bear with me. You know what I mean? It's not about you. And if you get, if you get triggered by something I said, that's your trigger. 
that's my that's not my trigger. That's your trigger. Take Thank some responsibility you. for your triggers. Yeah. You know. That's what like, I said. We Be- all have. Because if you think about it, it's true. Everyone has a trigger. Like, for example, like alcoholics. You know how hard it must be for them to see people drinking on TV and being all around. Like, but you don't see them going uh, around uh, and be like, no, let's cancel alcohol just because I'm a recovering alcohol. Like, you know what I mean? So it's true. Like, even same thing with smokers. Like, I used to smoke. I haven't touched a cigarette in over like 10 years. But I'm not going to go up to a, someone who's smoking in my and be like, you know what? I used to smoke and I quit. I can't have you smoking around me. You trigger me. Like, like how? how yeah. uh, but again, but, but people do that. But also people. Do but that's that unresolved issues, like we've been saying, right? So yeah, uh, yeah again, we're times, we're times. Well, speaking of we're times, you ready for the worst story of the week? Yes. All right. Are are you a foodie? By chance, do you care for food? Ish. Yes. Yeah. That's sort I, of like me. I, I just feel like I always date foodies who always try to make me a foodie. And I'm like, just put it in my mouth. <laughs> Anything weird? That you uh, enjoy that other people despise? How about that? Any, any weird food? I think I had like cricket, a cricket bar one time. Oh, shit, yeah. No, that that's not fun. for me. Not for me. Not for me. Okay, how about this? Would you ever want to try grinded up mummy or even some asphalt? Grinded up mummy or asphalt? Yeah. No, right? What is what is a grinded up mummy anyway? Like uh, a mummy, like old school mummy, like a mummified person. You're, you're grinding up the, 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 the bones inside or the, the tape and shit? Too. The bones inside. Like you open up the mummy and you grind everything up from inside. I mean, if someone told me it gave me special powers, sure. Well, here, that, here's the thing. So this week's story comes from back in the medieval and renaissance era where apparently... Europeans used to ingest the grinded up mummy because they thought it would cure headaches and other small ailments because obviously there was no modern medicine back then, so they would try anything. So they thought that eating mummies would take away, like it would be like t- taking a Tylenol or an Advil or something. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> right? But that's not the case, obviously, and this is where it sort of gets weirder. So Europeans went to the Middle East, and that's who actually taught them this so-called medicine. But you have nothing to write on. It's all memory going back, lost in translation. So apparently, the Middle Easterns called it mummy. Yeah, like M U M I Y A. That's what they pronounced it, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, and then the Europeans translated it into mummia, M U M I A, which in Latin means mummy. So they thought that the Middle Easterns were giving them grinded up mummy. Oh, that's funny. So they went back and did this, but I, I don't know what's worse here. So why the asphalt was brought up. What Mamiya actually is, is asphalt. So the Middle Eastern people used to ingest asphalt for headaches. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, man. So when people are complaining about getting vaccines and all this, this and that, just imagine having to take a teaspoon of asphalt when you have a headache. Well, yeah, I was, I was, I was watching the new Game of Thrones, and like okay. you know, like the guy has a wound, and like, well, the leeches aren't working. It's like, <laughs> think about that. Like, leeches were like, like doctors. Yeah. For the, for up until like I don't know, a hundred years ago, maybe. I know. Maybe not hundred, but probably like two hundred years ago. It's crazy. I know. Like, it's so crazy. Uh, and no wonder people only lived until their thirties, obviously. But you think about it: the common virus, the common cold, anything, an infection would kill everyone back in the day. Like, people don't realize yeah. how. Like, again, taking stuff for granted. And I know we live in a world where instant gratification and everything's at our fingertips and everything. It's like, just you know, whenever you're feeling depressed or whatever. Again, look back. You don't have to take asphalt or eat grinded mummy. So, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You can go to the gym. And that too, of course. <laughs> well, Bill, thank you for coming aboard. Really appreciate it, my friend. Plug your shit. Anything you want to promote? Floor is all yours. Yeah, you know, um, the, yeah, uh, the new, new series Mo on Netflix is out. It's called Mo with Mo Amer. Um, I have a small part this season. If it gets picked up, I'll, I think I'll become a regular next season. Nice. And uh, Mo's a great guy. So support Mo Amer. He's a great comic. And it's, it's a really cool, interesting piece about a Palestinian-American living in Houston, Texas. And um, also, if you watch City on a Hill, third season on, uh, on Showtime, I have a nice little three-episode arc there. And then, you know, I'm in Vegas September 5th through the 11th. I'm headlining the Las Vegas Laugh Factory September 5th through 11th. So... 
And other than that, I tour with uh, Jeremy Pivot, so okay. we're on the road throughout the rest of the year. How about socials? Anything on the socials? Oh, yeah, just at Bill Dawes, B-I-L-L-D-A-W-E-S. There yeah. you go. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them, almost definitely helps me out. And most importantly, please, each and every week, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Okay, one last question. When I was looking you up and looking for stuff to talk about, this crossed my eyes and I need to ask you. You brought up being a yoga teacher. Now, what the hell were you doing as a break dancer? Uh, well, yeah, that was when I was a kid. That's when I was like, okay, that's better. I, I was like six, I was sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. I was on like the, my middle school breakdance team. Okay, okay. And then we started our own like breakdance squad, and we would compete around town, and we competed at like Chuck E. Cheese. They had like oh, a team shit. night. Well, we made some money here and there. It was Look like you'd make a hundred dollars for the whole squad. You'd be like, Whoa. and uh, <laughs> and then I think I was like a sophomore. In high school, and some, some girls like you know, you're never going to get a girlfriend <laughs> as a break dancer with your fat laces what? and your vinyl. So, uh, so then I was like, okay, and I'd gotten to Bruce Springsteen, Classic Rock, and flannel and jeans and shit. But then, um, Look at that. Uh, but then when I got into college, ironically, um, they were starting a hip hop dance company at Princeton called oh. Body Hype, which is still there. Shit. And uh, and so then I was like. I can still kind of dance, and yeah, sure as up, I could still dance. So I was like, you know, one of the one of the one of like four male dancers on this like <laughs> dance company. And then in college, and then in grad school, I became like a, a, a go-go dancer. I started dancing oh at nightclubs and Limelight and Webster Hall in New York City, and Look you know, um, and it's it's just it's a, it was a nice little thing, and that's probably what got me into yoga eventually. It was because. It was just a different. This all connected. It was all different forms of like physical expression. I mean, there's actually a lot of di- like break dancers who become good jujitsu people. Uh, there's I, a lot of similar. Makes sense. Because you know I mean? they're bendable, you know? they're flexible, they're able to get into positions, yeah. right? Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so they're all so to me, jujitsu, yoga, <coughs> dancing, they're all kind of weirdly connected for you know what, what interested me. You know. Oh, that's awesome. On that note, he's Bill. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace. Bye.